I mean, we've tried a little bit of everything, honestly, over the years. And yeah, we just found that like with video series and podcasts, that seems to be something that is kind of foolproof for our brand that helps us grow. Welcome to our weekly show, Brands at Podcasts, where we focus on one thing only, showing you behind the scenes of how some of the best brands in the world are using podcasting to grow. All right, Jenny, welcome. Thank you so much for being here. Maybe to start, I think a good place would be just if you could give an overview of what Wistia is and your role there. Yeah, thank you for having me. I'm, I'm super excited to be here to talk about all things podcasting. But yeah, so my name's Jenny and I work at Wistia, which is a marketing software company um, primarily for small and medium-sized businesses. And we are really trying to help build brands and create loyal fan bases with video. So we want to support businesses with our software that helps you get more out of your content. So you know we have tools that help you grow your email list, create smarter ads, track video across your website. And yeah, basically we want to help businesses create a great experience for their audiences that engage with their video content. So for my role specifically, I'm the director of content and creative. So it's kind of a hybrid role. If you look it up on LinkedIn, there's not many people with this exact title because trust me, I've (laughs) tried to find people to talk to before. (laughs) Basically, it's kind of split between marketing and creative. So I oversee our content marketing strategy from a high level as well as our social strategy, but at the same time, manage our copywriters and work really closely with designers and video producers. So I kind of get to work with a lot of creative people across a lot of different projects. That's awesome. Yeah. And the cool thing here is like Wistia obviously is an extremely powerful platform to help companies like use podcasting or I'm sorry, use video as a channel for their marketing strategy and and different things like that. But you all, and, and that could be in the form of shows, it could be in the form of any sort of content like that. And you all are not just selling a powerful tool to help with that, but you actually eat your own dog food and create a lot of shows for yourself using your own tools and methodologies and best practices. And that's what I'm really excited to talk about with with the video component, but also you, you know, either repurpose them into podcasts or or have a podcast. It seems of late you are starting to have a podcast first strategy as well for a few shows. So I think that'll be fun for us to kind of dig into here. But first, maybe another layer of context for Wistia. Is there any context you could give in terms of like team size, customers, you know, revenue, anything to to paint the picture of, you know, where you all are at in your journey? Yeah, totally. So Wistia has been around for, I want to say almost 13 years at this point. So, you know, people might think tech startup vibes, but we've actually been around for a lot longer than (laughs) people might think. And right now we have around 120 employees. So uh, when I started at Wistia about five years ago, we were at in the 40s. So I've seen 3x growth in terms of the number of people I work with. But yeah, so we're 120-ish people. We're we're growing, still hiring during the pandemic. So check out our job board if you're interested. (laughs) But as far as customers, we have over 500,000 businesses across 50 different countries using our software. And companies from, you know, marketing agencies to people who run like a forklifting company, like large machinery, but they have a video series that they want to host (laughs) on their website. So we really span across 
a number of different industries, but really people who use our software are just looking to get more out of their content that they've worked so hard to create. So we provide the tools that help businesses do that. That's amazing. Well, kudos on that. That is no small feat, especially for the longevity, two, 13 years. I mean, in the kind of what you said, the startup kind of vibe, that is that is a true vet in the game, right. 13 years. It's like dog so, years. It's, yeah. <laughs> it's quite long. <laughs> yeah, so let's let's talk a little bit then about how you're building awareness and how you've driven that demand for 500,000 individual businesses yeah. using the platform, you know, and maybe like we can get real tactical on how you're executing on your your shows, whether they be video and podcasts. But are those the primary levers you've you've used as of late, you know, since you joined the company five years ago to build that awareness and that demand? Like, is it is it primarily show driven or are there other things you're doing as well, whether it be paid or other organic channels that you're using, you know, to help build that? Yeah, of course. So I think it'll be helpful to kind of just walk down memory lane a little bit and go back to the beginning and kind of how we got to where we are today with video series and podcasts being a really big marketing channel for us. So basically, you know, back around 10 years ago, so inbound marketing was kind of the hot new trend. Now everyone does it. But um, back then we were making a lot of, you know, educational and delightful content that just taught people how to do video. So we created a lot of posts around setting up a studio in your office, like how to record audio, things like that. And we just continued to create content like that. And we noticed that a lot of people were talking about it online and kind of commenting. I mean, back then we would get like hundreds of comments on blog posts. I think that's died down a little and that that conversation is happening on other platforms right now. But um, so we made a ton of content and that really helped us grow through word of mouth. So we continue to invest in that over the years. And we still obviously are writing a lot of blog content and investing in that format. But over the years, we we did that, but we were we kind of you know reached a point where we're like, okay, well, what's next? So if you remember, you know, growth hacking was probably a trending word for quite some time. And so we we kind of invested in that for a few years, did lots of you know, tinkering, A B testing, and and small incremental changes. And sometimes that worked, but a lot of times, you know, it, it didn't really move the needle that much. So we kind of realized like, okay, what, what helped us grow initially? Like, what, what is it that really helped Wistia grow? And when we thought about it, we were like, it's always been the brand. Like, that's been the thing that's worked for us. And the people who know about us love us. And the people who don't know about us don't know about us. But once they get to know us, mm. they, they love Wistia's brand. So we kind of realized that that worked for us. And we, we wanted to put our brand first again. So we kind of started by taking this big risk and making this docu-series called 110-100. It's like a three-part docu-series. And we saw how successful it was when we uh, released it. And we realized that we were kind of on to something here with this whole like show thing. So flash forward two years, we've built out a whole team called Wistia Studios that creates this type of content. And, you know, since then we've been putting out video series and we've really been investing more in podcasts lately. So it has helped us grow in many ways. And we kind of just realized that for us, leaning on our brand is is what's going to help mm. Wistia grow. What were those growth hacking strategies that you tried that maybe had some success or less than you would have liked, but ended up reverting back to going in on brand as the the primary focus? 
Yeah, I think a lot of it was kind of like on our owned properties of like, you know, testing different homepage copy and and just Mm. like a lot of testing or we would make like two different versions of a video and see like which one is better. And I don't know if you've sent many emails in HubSpot, but you know, you run your AB test and you're like, oh, wow, it was like 48 to 52%. Like they're it's like no real big difference. Like everything we did, it was like, okay, so like, I don't know, this is kind of working, but not really. So I think we just were trying out different things, but nothing was that significant. Like the the difference was never like astounding. It was never like we had something that really just like knocked it out of the park. Like, okay, clearly this is what we need to do now. So I think, yeah, we were just doing a lot of, of testing and it just didn't seem like that was doing anything. Did you ever try any like paid acquisition or a focus on like SEO? Maybe that was part of that during that period. Yeah. You know, things like that that are pretty like quote unquote attributable right. and like you can, you know, measure, although we could argue how accurately, but you you mm-hmm. can effectively measure like probably a little bit easier than brand, obviously debatable whether like which one has the bigger impact, but from a measurement standpoint, it obviously is sold as being a little bit easier. Yeah. I mean, I think from the SEO side, like our content marketing strategy at least definitely has an SEO component, but paid ads, I mean, we've, we've tried a number of different campaigns and, you know, when you're getting things like impressions and clicks as, as the quote unquote, like measurable part of it, it's not really painting a meaningful story, like, you know, across every platform, even a click is a different thing. A view is a different thing. Like it's 15 seconds or is it 30 seconds or do they just have to play the ad? Like there's just, it's, it's hard to understand or really get a true read on how those types of activities perform uh, when it varies so much. And, you know, you can just throw, you could endlessly throw money at it and and not really scale it. So yeah, we've tried. I mean, we've tried a little bit of everything, honestly, over the years. And yeah, we just found that like with video series and podcasts, that seems to be something that is kind of foolproof for our brand that helps us grow. Do you think that that is an insight that obviously we can't make a broad sweeping statement, but do you think that that insight right there is more broadly applicable to more companies than they realize in, in terms of those that are overly dependent on measuring every last data point, but the thing that they're measuring doesn't have the right analysis potentially, whether it be Facebook ads or you know Google PPC or different things like that, and they're putting all their eggs in that basket versus you know building shows, for example, like building the brand such that Yes, it may be hard to understand exactly who's watching and how long they're watching and do they end up becoming a customer, you know, depending on how you're able to track that Mm -hmm. through your quote unquote funnel and things like that. But if you look at is revenue growing, is our audience growing, like things like that, you can probably tell. But do you think that like that insight you all had when it went from testing a little bit of the growth hacking stuff to, okay, let's go back to brand because that worked and let's try it again and we believe in it. Do you think that like how can how should companies look at that decision right now versus like the more attributable ROI yeah. measurement focused thing? I think it's definitely broadly applicable and I think that it needs to come from the top down. So like the VPs of marketing, like heads of marketing 
I think need to get on board with this. I think a lot of times marketers, you know, it's like prove the ROI. Like I got this budget and like, what, what happened? Like, I need to tell my boss that like, I didn't just waste 40 grand on whatever ad campaign or something. So I think the leaders of marketing teams should get on board with this and believe in investing in brand and letting their team take more creative risks. I think doing the same thing over and over again and getting like not great results is just like the definition of insanity or whatever. Like you're just going to keep doing the same thing and, and hoping that something new comes from it. So I think that a lot of companies um, are probably feeling this, but are, you know, afraid or scared to kind of take the plunge into brand. And I think as, as we continue to do this more, like the numbers are getting better. Like you're getting the data around how to quote unquote measure brand impact. Like Mm. we are getting more of that information as people keep investing in it. Like they want more of that knowledge. So I think it's just a matter of time before it's a lot easier to even measure, you know, who's watching or listening to your content, how much are they listening to it or watching it. So we, we soon enough, we will put those metrics around this type of work. I just think people need to lean on, you know, what their gut feel is a little bit more and, and not just be so bogged down by the numbers when, like I said before, you know, this number to me means something different to you in a different platform. And it's just kind of unreliable. So, yeah. Right. Yeah, for sure. And there's a difference between counting leads versus counting customers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so it's like, you know, you can generate a lot of leads, but do those turn into customers is like a big question. That's ultimately, I mean, that's what businesses in the business right. of doing is it's revenue and customers. Okay, cool. Well, let's talk a little bit about then, you know, related to that, how you measure the success of your shows. Maybe if you could describe it, you know, it sounded like when you went from that growth hacking insight stage to let's move back to brand, you you launched with 110 100, which is a incredible docu-series, by the way. I think everybody should go check out. Yeah, absolutely. And what has since evolved with your portfolio of shows since then? And then how do you go about as like experts in this space with a platform and executing the strategy? How do you go about measuring it, the success of it? Yeah, definitely. So um, I think it's kind of a combination of, of looking at different factors. There's not like one concrete number that you're like, oh, if we hit, you know, a hundred hours with the content, then like we've done our jobs. Like that's, that's what we want to aim for. But generally we look at like, so one of the big measurements we look at is like time spent with content. So mm-hmm. back a while ago, a couple of years ago, we ran an ad campaign that got, you know, whatever, let's say like a million impressions or something we spent all this money on it and we had one really good blog post that had like five times the amount of time spent with that piece of content. And we were like, wait a minute. So we could get people to spend like 500 hours with this blog post and it's actual meaningful time spent with that content versus a hundred hours spent with an ad that they're mad that they even saw in the first place. So I think that was a good indicator for us that we were like, okay, time spent with content is a really good way to understand, you know, the success of an episode or of a video series or what have you. So we look at hours, how many hours are they spending? We look also at like brand search volume. So are people searching for the name of your show and the name of your business? We also do like social listening and we uh, track social mentions, seeing kind of trying to assess like the sentiment, which again is not like a hard number, but 
what are people saying about your show and what are the vibes for lack of a better word? Like, are they excited about it? Do they think it's lame? Like what's the deal? And another thing that we've actually tracked that has been a really helpful thing is um, subscribers. So with Wistia, we have, you know, we host all of our content on our own platform, obviously. And we have channels, which is basically just like an awesome like landing page home for your content. So what we have done that's been really helpful is enabling um, people to subscribe for updates. So people will enter their email address in and you can, in the pre-promotion period, like before you release any content, we found that if you try to build excitement and hype around your show and drive a ton of subscribers, you can build this list of people who like are hand raisers that want to know more about what you're making and by having that list, you kind of can build a profile around like who are the people that are are listening mm-hmm. to this or watching mm-hmm. this, and you can get a better understanding of like who that target person is. So, growing that subscriber list over time is another you know metric that we can look at to kind of understand how things are going. But I really think one thing that people should just keep in mind is that you know with video series or, or podcasts like this is a a marketing tactic that like you can apply all of your other marketing skills to like, it's not this foreign thing that, you know, we have no idea what to, how to measure what to look. I mean, we have so many tools available to us for, for tracking things. Like you can paint a meaningful picture of how things are going based on, you know, I just listed like six different things you can look at to kind of understand. But I think a big part of it is, having a, you know, having a human being interpreting it versus just pumping out a report that says like, you know, impressions, clicks, whatever, cost per click. It's like actually being like making a, a meaningful picture of, of all the data and, and understanding whether or not you should keep investing in it. I so agree with that. Like the, the measurement or, or the analysis of the report yeah. is, is like imperative to do because there's so much context there that like might need to be explained or like, you know, is subjective or contextually or anecdotally, like all that sort of stuff. That's just qualitative. And you just pair that with the quantitative piece to get the actual accurate picture. Totally. Yeah. Okay, cool. Well, let's, so would you mind sharing like what shows like you currently have in your in Wistia Studios, and then maybe we could talk about like how you went about identifying, or, or just broadly, like yeah. framework-wise, how you go about identifying what shows to create next, or which ones to like. Maybe you thought this one would be an ongoing series, but decided to stop it for some reason. Like how you actually look at those like decisions, yeah, within within the creation of it. Totally, yeah. So. I will say the pandemic has <laughs> thrown a wrench in all of our grand plans for the year for what we were going to make. You know, we had like a whole roster of of shows that we were going to make, a lot of them video series and, you know, we're still working on creating content in video form, but honestly the pandemic has kind of forced us in a good way to double down on creating podcasts just because it is so much easier. Like anyone can make a podcast at home right now. Like you, I mean, GarageBand comes preloaded on everyone's laptop. Like at the very least you have something to work with and you have, you can get a mic pretty cheaply. So anyway, just, we are kind of doubling down on podcasts right now. So our CEO, um, Chris Savage, he has a podcast called Talking Too Loud. 
And he basically interviews, you know, CEOs, CMOs at other companies, leaders in the marketing space, and just chats with them about, you know, their challenges, struggles, like how they've overcome obstacles. So that comes out every other week. And that is available wherever you get podcasts. (laughs) But we also did a video series over the summer and the pandemic called Out of Office Hours with our head of production basically just sharing like behind the scenes tips on how to make videos while we're remote. So that was another thing we've worked on. And we have a few other podcasts that are in the works. I actually am working on my own podcast right now, which is really cool. I I don't think I can divulge specifics around that yet, (laughs) but you know, 2021, stay on the lookout. (laughs) But yeah, so our, our studios team, so we have, you know, our content and creative team. That's the team I manage. We also have a dedicated team that is focused primarily on video series and podcasts and creating long form content. And basically, we actually have a development producer whose job, you know, primarily is to come up with these creative ideas. Now, that may seem, you know, like not overkill, but it's a lot. And I don't think every company needs a development producer. But you know, when we're investing so much in long form content, it it makes sense. So the way we go about actually thinking about what shows we want to make we, it all comes back to this mandate that we have. So for people who don't know what a mandate is, it's, it's basically like your governing document that includes like your mission, who your audience is, your target demo, your budget, and things like that. And it, it sounds very similar to a marketing plan. And that's basically just because it is. It's like your one pager about what your shows are going to be like. So a lot of what goes into making a podcast, we, we pull from, from that mandate. So it helps us decide what topics fall into our wheelhouse, what topics don't. And it helps like guide our thinking on, you know, what, what topics do we have the right to talk about? Like what space should we, you know, enter into? And I think when it comes to whether or not we should double down on content, like when do we know when to do that? I think for podcasts specifically, doubling down on it is kind of just like the name of the game. I mean, you listen to, you know, really popular podcasts and they have like 350 episodes. It's it's like repeating your format and making improvements and being critical of of what you're doing along the way and and seeing what people are talking about. I think that that helps you kind of iterate and get better. But yeah, I don't think there's one formula to understand if like your show is succeeding or failing. Mm. But if you get a lot of quality to feedback from your audience about how much they like it. I think that's a good sign that it's worth the investment. But yeah, I would say just like repeating, like just keep going. And if you get a point where you're not passionate about the topic anymore, then like maybe call it, you know, maybe pick a different topic, like switch, switch gears. Like I think if you're, if your host or whoever's like writing the content for the show is, you know, feels like there's nothing left to say anymore, then maybe, you know, maybe it's time to branch out and try something new. But I think as long as you have that excitement behind it and the passion behind it, then you can and you should just keep going. What's your opinion on probably more specifically for the podcast angle Mm -hmm. on like a series that is meant to just be a certain number of episodes covering a certain topic and it could be highly produced or it could not be, but it's it's it was built from scratch with the intention of only being a limited number of episodes mm-hmm. versus like an ongoing episodic show that, you know, can build a following over time, but maybe is produced differently or what have you in order to like m- be able to maintain that that consistency. Like 
How do you all think about that? Especially because I know, you know, with deep expertise in the video space, like a lot of those are are not necessarily ongoing, like weekly or biweekly right. shows, but they're more so like series. Like what's your opinion on this, these short form like series versus like ongoing episodic? Yeah, I think, I mean, I feel like this is, this is such a good question that, you know, we, we get all the time and we ask ourselves all the time. And I think our answer always comes down to the format should come after you know what you want to talk about, I think is, is the mm. thing. So if, if you're, if you want to tell the story about how, you know, your company sold or didn't sell and whatever, like it's a, it's a time boxed story that to me seems like something you would do over, you know, a series of 10 episodes or something that you either release all at once or you release in like two parts to kind of give yourself another reason to talk about your show. But I think if you have more of a broad topic that you want to talk about, like people who make podcasts at companies, you might want to have that be a repeating format because you want to bring in different voices every week or every other week. So I don't think that one format is necessarily better than the other. I think it just depends on the story that you're trying to tell with the content. I will say that having having it every week or having it every other week or released, you know, like hundreds of episodes, I think it does give you more opportunities from the promotion side to be talking about your show. So I think that can be helpful. And it does give you more of a runway for building an audience in that over time, you know, as more people slowly start hearing about your show, they can recommend it to their friends. And then, you know, that can scale that way. You do run the risk a little bit, I think, with a one series of a show, you know, you might make a big splash at the beginning, mm. you might see a bigger peak or a bigger spike, like right when it comes out, and then it, it has a bigger drop off versus for a, a weekly show or something like that, it might be a really slow, slow climb to hit the, the peak of, of engagement with your show. I love that. Yeah. It's so smart too. Cause it's, it's kind of what we talk about a lot where like when people are thinking about starting the podcast, like usually their first things are like what mic to buy mm -hmm. and like what equipment and stuff. And it's like, and then it's like, okay, what should I talk about is like the very last thing. Yeah. <laughs> and so for you, you know, it sounds like it's less about forcing a format and it's more about what is the right story to tell or what is the right topic we should cover and mm -hmm. then what is the best format to put that in yeah exactly yep awesome and, and so your production process i mean you all have invested a lot it seems like with the in-house team do you primarily make these shows like all in-house or do you you know for teams who are thinking about how to put this together whether it be video or podcast or otherwise like do you have any guidance on you know the team that would yeah. be needed to kind of put these things together and how you all maybe go about it or any insights around that? Yeah, definitely. So like I kind of said before, during the quarantine, you know, take all your plans and just throw them out the window. So we basically <laughs> had to figure out how do we switch gears on our production on a lot of the shows that we had slated for this year. So we have on our team right now, we have the development producer who works on show concepts, but we also have a lead producer who's in charge of overseeing all of the the podcast work from a high level. And, you know, as, tar, as far as like who's actually working on these things, we have hosts that are internal. So we have our CEO running a show. I have one in the works. One of my colleagues on our people team has one in the works. So really 
if you, you find someone who is really passionate about a topic or is like a subject matter expert, like they can be a host if they have desire to do so and, and time to do so. And yeah, I think we, we also definitely rely on a network of freelancers to do lots of things like editing and mixing and producing. And I think actually relying on these freelancers has really helped us scale the, the production of this content in a way that keeps our you know, studios team focused on the creative part of it and a little less bogged down by the nitty gritty mm. of, of editing and pulling things together. But I think yep. broadly speaking for companies that want to get started with podcasts or even a video series, either one, we kind of think about it in three different ways. You, we, we call it like build, borrow, or buy. So you can build a team internally. And I think people who would be really well-suited to be on this team are your content people and your social people. So content marketing managers, I mean, making a podcast is like making a blog post that is a series, which we've done that before. You know, content marketers have made a series of blog posts. It's the same muscle that you're flexing. It's just a different format. So I would definitely lean on those content marketing people, leaders on your marketing team. I think those people could be great. And then, so that was build, build your team internally. Borrow, we have, so that's kind of like using freelancers and kind of leaning on your network to get this content made. And then the last one is buy, which is you can legit hire an agency and, you know, work with them closely on like, this is what I want it to sound like. And this is what the message should be. And you, there's tons of companies out there that can help you make your own show, make your podcast. So it kind of depends on what resources and time you have available to you to put into creating this content. But there's a number of ways that you can go about it. I love it. And a lot of that is probably also back to what we just talked about, probably can be guided by if the team internally has any opinions on what stories or topics they do want to tell. Yeah. Because then maybe that will help inform whether they should just do it all internally, maybe a hybrid with some Mm -hmm. external folks, but like maybe some internal experts are actually like going to lead the charge on it or just outsourcing the whole thing and like really working with like a strong partner from start to finish. Yeah, totally. So, okay, that that's great. That's super helpful. What have you seen as the strength? Like, especially now, it sounds like you've really gone down the path of podcasting events since COVID hit. Like, what have you seen as the strength of podcasting compared to video as a channel for you? And vice versa. Like, obviously, I'd I'd love like both points on that, whether if you have any insights or guidance on it. Yeah, definitely. I think, you know, podcasting has been a godsend throughout the pandemic as far as, you know, accessibility and, and, and making this content and making it at home. And the the barrier to entry is definitely lower than video. So I think that that is a big strength for podcasting. Obviously, you don't want to just make a crappy podcast, but I think <laughs> you can, a lot more people are able to do it. Plus, I mean, some people just don't like being on video. Like, I think right. that is a fact. Like, it's it's psychology. People don't like looking at themselves on camera. So I think, you know, as far as working with your own team internally, it is it is nice to be able to just rely on people's voices. So I think that is definitely a strength. So yeah, that and, and also being able to produce it easier. With video, you, you know, it's become democratized, you know, making videos on your phone. Everyone, you know, teens growing up today, God, they're going to be making amazing videos by the time <laughs> they're in the workforce, we're going to be blown away. But yeah, you know, it's, it's tricky to make a video, especially at home or alone. And I think with podcasting, it's, it's a big strength. 
to be able to do that. I think in terms of content consumption, I think the fact that podcasts are on demand is huge and I think is going to play a really big role in its success. So the fact that you can really cater to your audience's preferences in that way, video is obviously amazing for storytelling. Nothing can take away from the visual and, you know, audio format together. But I think being able to tune into a podcast whenever you want is a pretty powerful way for people to engage with your content. So they both have strong suits and they they work really well together too, um, video and and audio. So they have strengths and weaknesses, but you know, it just depends on who you're trying to reach. Like what is your audience like? Some some people have an audience that are like, I'm not gonna watch a video on my phone. I'd much rather read a blog post or I'm always on the go and I want to hear a podcast. Like I can't sit there and read a blog post. So it just depends on your audience and giving them options, I think is the best way to go. Do you think it's okay? Or do you think it, it should be approached cautiously creating a show Mm -hmm. that is distributed on both channels, like both a podcast and a video, like the same show, or do you think you should like, again, it kind of goes back to what story you're going to tell and then the format And then maybe you select like, okay, this actually probably makes most sense to do a video or this one makes most sense to do a podcast and maybe have like it repurposed on the other channel if that's like relevant, but it's really not meant to be on that one. Like, how do you all think about that? Yeah, that's, that is a tricky one because, you know, you want to, you want, I want to be able to say like, just take your video, rip the audio out, (laughs) here you go. But everyone knows that you know, that doesn't always work. I think one example I can think of that might be helpful to like illustrate how it could work. So when we filmed Brandwagon, which was a video series with our CEO, again, talking to different entrepreneurs, that was definitely video first. Like when we made that, we were not thinking this is going to be a podcast too. This is just a video series. Like that's what we made the whole show around. But as we were filming everything, you know, a lot of the interviews actually didn't fully make it into the final cut. You can't have, I mean, you can have Mm. a 45 minute long video, but it's not going to be that interesting to watch two people talking for that long necessarily. So we're like, what are we going to do with all this awesome interview audio and and footage that, you know, that didn't make it into the show. So we decided to release the podcast, the full unedited interviews. And we released that as the Brandwagon interviews. So it was like slightly different branding than just straight up Brandwagon. But that was a really, I feel like a good way of repurposing the content in a way that wasn't just the audio stripped from the video. It was like, okay, we have all this stuff. Let's make it into, let's suit it for the format. So let's make it, you know, a long form interview podcast. So I think you should think about the format first video or audio, but also consider how those things could complement each other depending on the type of content that you're creating, like using an interview clips, or if it's a short video and it's talking about something that's more visual, like unboxing or something, Mm. you might want to have an audio and visual component. Yeah. A hundred percent. Yeah. We're big believers in like trying to, trying to the best of your ability, getting the most out of a single piece of content and being able to apply that on like every channel you can, but like not forcing it. If it just feels, if it just feels like duplicative or like not relevant for that format necessarily. So, so yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I like that a lot because like you said, it's 
it was actually the more longer form piece that you put through the podcast. And that's like really what that channel is great for. You know, you're on a walk with your dog for an hour and you <laughs> yeah. can listen to the full interview versus like sitting down for 45 minutes and like just staring at the screen yeah, exactly. watching the video. Yeah. Okay, cool. Well, I'm curious, like from an ROI standpoint, we talked a little bit about that on like the, a couple of those things that you look at, mm-hmm. namely like time spent consuming the content, which I absolutely love. And I'm sure like the other part of that is like the right people consuming the content. Yeah. But like, is there any just fun, random, like qualitative or anecdotal or even like quantitative, like results you've seen from this strategy? Like, you know, whether that's like new users or, you know, someone reaching out and saying like, this show changed my life or like literally any anything like that just to yeah. hear like how how the shows have impacted the audience you're you're looking to get in front of. Yeah, I mean, one straight up ROI metric. I mean, we've we've gotten paying customers that we can attribute to, you know, it's multi-touch so it's not like they watch this episode and then they bought our product, but <laughs> right. people finding out about our show, watching our show and then becoming customers, like that's a real thing. That happens all the time. So I think I don't have a number I can pull right now for how many people, but that definitely happened. And I think, you know, some of the fun promotional activities that we did around the content um, and the engagement we saw from people, you know, anecdotally, like uh, when we released one of our video series, we sent, you know, popcorn and, and other like viewing materials in the mail and people posted pictures of themselves like, with the popcorn watching our series and and things like that. So I think getting experimental will help you kind of get those reactions if you if you want to be able to really gauge how your audience is feeling about your content. Like do something weird to promote it. So like do a direct mail campaign. Like what for one of our video series we actually rented out a movie theater and we played the whole docuseries there. We invited people in, you know, the the local community who were customers, you know, we invited people who work at the company. So that was really fun. And we did a whole screening there. And yeah, that's, that's not exactly hard and fast ROI, like, but you build a sense of community there. And it's also, I think, an understated thing that people forget about is like, you're creating these PR opportunities for yourself with your right. own content. I feel like people are like, well, what do we need to go out and talk about? Like, what should we say? Like, what should we how are we going to get PR about whatever? It's like you, by making this content and thinking creatively about how you're promoting it, you are making your own, like you're making your own moments and your own opportunity to build buzz. But yeah, it's been, it's been really cool to see how people react to the shows that we've made and just the comments from, from people who absolutely love, I mean, Different. I think one time one hundred was probably one of our bigger successes, just with how mm. much people loved the docu series and the format. It was it was one of the the best things that we've made to date. I'm pretty sure. I love I love those strategies that you all use. Like I don't think a lot of folks, you know, because it's it is hard enough to like create a show, but then right. like think through this like crazy big splash like promotion event. Yeah. But I think that's in the same way that like, you know, there's this big debate, should you spend 80% of your time writing the content or 80% of your time promoting that content? Oh, and yeah. I think it's probably like with shows, 
you know, a lot of the focus can be just like, just getting it out and then, then that's it. But like what I'm hearing and what we fully believe in too, is like, that's actually just the starting point. Mm -hmm. And you're leaving a lot of opportunity on the table to your point with those like amazing examples to create some additional awareness by doing something fun or unique on the back of it. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, your show is only as good as, you know, anyone seeing it. Like the tree falls (laughs) in the woods. Does it make a sound? I don't know. Did did your podcast, was it heard by anyone? So I think a big part of it is definitely around the promotion strategy and making people aware of it and getting creative and, you know, putting, putting an image in your, your email signature, hyping your new show. And like, there's so many little tactical things you can do to help bring awareness to your content. But yeah, I think it is definitely a huge part of it. Yeah. I mean, it's like, I think there's just this false belief. It's like, well, if you just, okay, cool. I believe in brand. I believe in shows. So if I just create a show, like it's going to be great. Everything's good. Yeah. yeah. So, but like, you know, one thing we, we kind of say on this is, is like the same way that you would market your company, like market your website. Let's say you launch a new website. How would you market that? Like that would be the lens with which to think about how to market your show. Like think about it exactly like right. that. The show is not just going to be like this this magnet because it exists, but you got to market it. So that's, yeah, I love that. Totally. Okay, and then if you don't mind, I was just curious too, how do you go about, so you said like, you know, being able to to really look and see that like these shows have driven customers. Is that based on like, you know, what you mentioned, which is like subscribe for updates. So you can actually like capture that data on the landing pages for these shows. And then, you know, see that those folks who enter in their information end up becoming customers later. That might be one. Another might be maybe after customers have signed up, like you find out what things helped influence their decision. And maybe the shows are a big part of that. Or is there any like, just for teams are thinking about I believe in this. I believe in brand. I believe in shows, but I do need to be able to sort of like tie this all together. Totally. Yeah. I mean, I think for us, we are lucky in that we use our own software to do this stuff. So right. we we can, you know, with map integration, so we we can see, you know, the touch points where people are navigating, you know, how much we for at least for videos, we can see how much of the content they're watching, like where they're rewatching, what they're engaging with, are they clicking on links? So we have a lot of information and, and this is also available to any, if you're a Wistia customer, like you have access to all of all of this data for your own content. So I think, you know, we have different workflows set up where we can tell, you know, this person came in through this source and watched 75% of this video. They clicked on a link they then navigated to three product pages and they signed up for a free account. And we we have that information thanks to our own player, which is awesome that we can can do that. And also kind of speaks to, like you said, way in the beginning of like eating our own dog food. So mm-hmm. we are, as we're making these shows, providing feedback to our own product team of like, we would love to have this like one aggregate number for total hours watched on this channel. Like, I think our customers would love that too. So we're able to kind of help make our product even better, which is a great part about being a marketer on a marketing team at a marketing software company, (laughs) marketing to other marketers. My my brain just exploded. (laughs) So it's, it's pretty cool that we're able to do that. But yeah, I mean, 
I think that, you know, it, it, there are so many tools available and different integrations that can help you paint this picture. And I think it is tricky for podcasters trying to measure results on other platforms and that, you know, they're a bit of a walled garden there and that right. you can't quite tell what's going on there. So, you know, as much as you can have some owned owned content on your own property, like on your own website, so that you have a little bit more insight into how things are performing. I think that's that's a great way to get a gauge and you can, you know, extrapolate from there as far as like engagement on your content. Love it. Is there any way to just sort of estimate what percentage you think of Wistia customers over whatever period of time, you know, you would look at for this question were impacted by your shows to make a purchasing decision? Mm. Dang, that's a good number. I wish I knew right off the top of my head. It's okay. I'm just curious, you know, because yeah. I know it's probably tough to like really have that, you know, completely, yeah, completely. But like, I'm just curious, is it like below 50%, above 50%, you know, you know, anything like that? Yeah. I, if I had a, my marketing colleague here who is more in the weeds on the numbers than I am, I would be able to share that. But yeah, I don't think I can give a, a hard and fast number right now, but I think as we continue to invest in this content that hopefully we'll get a clearer picture on its impact and I can definitely share that at a later date. Cool, yeah. And part of that too is like becoming a customer is the first step, but then keeping the customer is right. the second. Yeah. <laughs> and so like these shows are a great part, you know, of like maintaining retention, I would imagine is like, giving people a reason to want to continue caring about Wistia and, and believing what you all believe in, but yeah. because they get to consume your content. Yeah. And if you're making content that is speaking towards like your niche audience within your customer base, so like your best, very best customer, you're giving them value for free. Like you're just giving them, you know, educational content or entertaining content that's just another way to make a really great brand touch with your customers and, you know, prove to them, Hey, like we're not only giving you the software service or we're, you know, you're paying for the software service, but you're also getting X, Y, Z, you're getting all this content and you're learning how you can actually do your job better or, you know, get inspired to do something within your own career. So I think it's definitely a bonus and it's just a great brand touch as well. Totally. Totally. Yeah. Awesome. Well, we're a little over right now. I appreciate you hanging on for a little bit. We don't have a ton of time to really dive into this, but like I was incredibly inspired by the event that you and Buffer put on called Built to Last, which was the first, I, I had never seen any, anything like it, audio conference. And I thought that was a really cool use case. So instead of, you know, the, the virtual kind of event thing that a lot of companies are doing right now, you all put together a co-branded event that was basically a private podcast feed that yeah. was was built for that consumption style of like audio first. Yes. Definitely. So if you want to just like, I, I think it's still up and available and people can still like access that content. Yeah. If that's right. Okay, cool. Yeah, I would really encourage everybody to go check it out. I think it's, it is called Built to Last. I'm not exactly sure the domain. We can put it in the URL, but I just wanted to plug it because I thought it was a really, a really cool like, innovation in an event. And especially just being a podcast junkie, mm -hmm. I was really inspired by like the approach you all took there. So yeah, thank you. Yeah, that was really fun. I mean, putting that on was was great. I mean, we worked with Ash, who is the editorial director at Buffer. And 
you know, he works in the UK, I think, and some of his colleagues are on the West Coast. So we were meeting at random times <laughs> to try to collaborate on this. But yeah, Buffer reached out to us with this idea of doing an audio only conference. And, you know, we, we love Buffer. We're super aligned as, as companies in terms of, you know, our values in creativity and long term thinking. We were like, this is awesome. We, believe in the same stuff. We care about brand, like they're super invested in brand. They have their own podcast as well, uh, Breaking Brand. And yeah, so they came to us and we were like, this is this is a great idea. Let's do this. And I think part of where the idea came from was kind of like you mentioned, you know, this is another like catchphrase lately, but Zoom fatigue is real. And people, you know, getting people to show up for all these live events. It's, it's like at the beginning of the pandemic, it felt like every other day, it was like, we're putting on a virtual conference, we have a virtual whatever. <laughs> and at a certain point, people are like, okay, I, I think I kind of know what I'm going to get out of this. So and it's just really hard to get people to show up to these things right now. I mean, I, I don't have kids right now. But I very much sympathize with the people who are running around their house, chasing their kids down They're in zoom meetings all day, like, sometimes, you know, you don't want to join another zoom event. So what if we did something where people could listen on demand? whenever they want to. And I think, you know, we ran a survey after the conference for attendees to kind of get their perspective. And the biggest thing, you know, aside from them enjoying the actual content that we shared, their their favorite thing was the format. They said that over and over again. They love being able to tune in whenever, like in between a meeting or doing laundry or, you know, walking your dog or whatever. They just absolutely love being able to be in control of when they got to consume the content. And I think right now, especially during the pandemic, that is something marketers should consider is the format of, of how are you delivering this content in a way that meets people where they are right now versus what you've always thought of you know, the kind of way they want to consume things. I love it. I love it. And the cool thing is like, it's somewhat evergreen too, like where people can still go to that landing page, yeah, put their email in and get a link sent to them to the private podcast feed to get all the all the right. content from the event. So it's yeah. not this one and done thing. That's so true. Yeah, it lives on and, and you can still, you know, promote it and still get people to listen to the content and engage with it. That's definitely another added bonus for sure. Well, kudos to you all on that. I think I'm going to be connecting with Ash here soon too. So, oh, awesome. Yeah, he's great. Yeah, that's amazing you all did that. I guess what, you know, as we come to a landing here, Jenny, like first, thank you for all the insight you've given thus yeah, far. Of course. What would you say? Like, let's say there's there's a person in, on a marketing team right now who's trying to think through their, this strategy for themselves or like sell this internally to the team. Like, let's create some shows, whether it be video, podcasting. Let's Let's, let's try it out. What would you say outside of what we've talked about thus far would be like the main thing you would have them think about, you know, if you were giving them advice on this? Yeah. I mean, I think when it comes to kind of pitching your boss on, you know, getting buy-in on this idea, I think nothing, nothing is better than making a proof of concept. Like even if it's not super polished, people, you know, how many times if you've been on a marketing team, you know that, <laughs> I mean this with, with love, the people don't know what they want until they see it. And then they know they don't want that. Like that's just a creative thing that happens all the time. So I feel like show them, they might not be bought in on the idea by you just describing it to them, 
that if you can play a video or play a podcast episode that is like a proof of concept and create like a mood board for what the vibe of the show is going to be, basically just, you know, do your background homework, show other companies that are in your space that have a podcast or a video series and kind of prove the point, like people are already doing this. So get in now while it's early and show that there's a demand for this and that people want this type of content. So yeah, I think just coming in prepared and and being ready to kind of state your case for why this is why this is a good investment for you, you know, being prepared is very helpful when it comes to that. Yeah, I'm a big believer in having something to show, even if it's like just a little bit versus yeah. just trying to like kind of pitch an idea exactly. without without something to really latch onto there. So mm-hmm. I love I love that advice. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Jenny. Yeah. Really appreciate your time. It's been awesome. We will continue to follow, support Wistia however we can. I really recommend everybody, if you haven't yet, like go check out Wistia's shows. Like 110, 100 being that anchor, like first one you guys made a big <laughs> splash with, I think. And then you've got a bunch more though, like we talked about. Yeah. And if you listen to podcasts, check out Talking Too Loud. That's the one that Chris, the CEO of Wistia, hosts. And you can get a sense for their podcast style and things like that. But obviously, you all are executing at a very high level. And I really appreciate all the time. And if there's, is there anywhere specific other than like, you know, checking out your shows on your website, checking out Talking Too Loud on on podcast players? Is there any anywhere specific you'd like to point people to? Yeah. Or maybe maybe build some awareness. We can get a little uh, early access group going for your show that is TBD in 2021. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. If you, you know, just go to wistia.com to learn more about, you know, us as a company, but wistia.com slash series, that will take you to all of our content, video series and podcasts, all of that will live there. So definitely go there to check things out. And then, yeah, across social, we're just... Wistia on all platforms. We promote our shows a lot there and, and let people know when new episodes are dropping and things like that. So yeah, we would we would love to have you come check out some of our shows and appreciate, you know, any listens or views you're willing to throw our way. Awesome. Everyone go check those out and thank you again, Jenny. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. 